Hello everyone, thank you for listening to today's message. My name is Pastor Dwayne Light, lead pastor at the Life Point Community Church. What you're going to hear today is a message from one of our recent services. And we believe that by listening to today's message, you're going to be blessed and encouraged from the Word of God. You're going to be strengthened, and we believe that God's going to speak to you in a very fresh, new, and real way through today's message. So thanks again for listening. Be blessed and encouraged, and we love you. God bless. Hey, uh, when Donna was talking, this passage just came into my heart, and I wanted to read it. Um, it's Romans chapter 8. It says, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who will then condemn us? No one. And this is what Don was saying. Listen. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute? Or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all these things overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. King James says, we've been made more than conquerors. I'm just wondering if if you believe that today. Amen. 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 Man, God bless you for being here. God bless you for braving the storm. Can I just tell you, man, you should have been here about, about 6.30 this morning. I walked in here and it was raining as hard as I've ever heard it rain in this building. And it was a glorious sound. <laughs> I, and, and I don't know if maybe I was just in that mode. It was just a glorious sound. So take that for what it's worth. Hey, we're in week five of my church. is kind of a big deal. Yes. And, and I genuinely believe that. Week one, we talked about how our church was connected to a global, indestructible, stable church. 2.2 billion people strong. And that's, that's who we are. In week two, you heard some very anointed, godly, committed, passionate leaders tell you what God was going to do in our church in this coming year. And then a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how we were going to serve God with excellence. That we were going to do what we did individually and corporately to, as best as we could. How many believe that we owe God our very best? Yes. Yes. And then last week, we talked about how we were going to place a new priority on evangelism. Or maybe renewed priority on evangelism. Maybe that's the way to say it. And so this week... I'm going to give you the third of those E words that I gave you in, very, in the first part of week one. And then at the very end, I think it'll make more sense. See, when I first heard these words, 
it was, it was funny. I was actually going to pick up Ron and Lydia. And I had been praying. I said, Lord, I, I, I need you to speak to my heart about direction for our church. And I'm on the way to pick up Ron and Lydia. And I, I literally heard those three words in my, you know, in, in my heart, in my soul, in my gut. How many sometimes you just know something in, in your knower? You with me? Just in my gut. And I heard, kept hearing those three words, excellence, evangelism, and expectation. And I said, I said God, you're going to have to connect the dots for me because I don't get the connection and I don't understand. And I don't know that I can make a really cool graphic out of those three words. So you're going to have to help me. And I think at the end of the service today, you're going to see how it all kind of t- ties together. Today, I want to talk about what it means to pray with expectation. James 1, 6 and 8 through 8 says, But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Hey, if, you're, if you've got a Bible or you're on your, uh, your iPad or your phone or whatever, those words, uh, believe and not doubt. James 1, 6 to 8, believe and not doubt. I want you to highlight that, circle it, use a pen, what, just however you've got to draw your attention back to that, do, do that. Believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Do you get the idea that unbelief and doubt's a pretty big deal? That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. I find it interesting sometimes, and maybe you will as well. Have you ever asked God for something? (coughs) Maybe something big, maybe something insignificant. You've asked God for something, and when he provided that whatever it was for you, you were surprised. (laughs) Is that just me, or has that happened to you? I find that odd. If you were here on week two, you heard Cindy Robertson stand behind this table, and she talked about childlike faith. And she said that it's the coolest thing to work with children because when you tell them about Jesus, they believe you. You'll remember a few weeks ago, we had, uh, on North Georgia standards, a horrendous blizzard. (laughs) I'm not kidding, y'all. On my deck... 1.5 inches of snow. (laughs) And and you know it's a big deal for us. Those of you that are on social media, everybody had their their winter selfies in the blizzard. But the coolest thing happened. My wife is like snow queen. She loves the snow. She wants to be able to... Now, she's not going to get out in it. She wants to sit on the couch near the fire able to look outside of the window and see the snow she cares nothing about getting out in it and so on the tuesday before it snowed on the wednesday my wife is a kindergarten teacher she gathered her kindergartners together and they prayed that it would indeed snow (laughs) i think that's exploiting childlike faith of uh, of the kindergartners but it apparently worked and as as we're sitting around on Wednesday, because you couldn't go anywhere, because it was the blizzard, of course. 
We're sitting around on Wednesday, and, and I'm going through Facebook, and I see one of her parents post a response to that prayer on Facebook, and I think this is a beautiful picture of childlike faith. Here's what it said. Grady, that's the student, the little kindergartner, is beyond thrilled. He said, man, you got to get this. This is, this is the best word you're going to hear today. And it came from a five-year-old. All of a sudden, I'm depressed. <laughs> Here's what Grady said. Grady said, wow, God answered our prayers for snow. Just think of what he does with the big prayers. So today, what I want us to do, if we're going to pray with expectation, I want us to define the expectation. So I'm going to start with a question. And I told them in the prayer room, what I want you to do is I want you to take off your Sunday school halos. Because I detest Sunday school answers. Don't you? I mean, don't, give me, give me a, something real. So here's the question. When you pray... Or when you ask someone else to pray for you, what do you really expect to happen as a result of that prayer? Uh, you know, that, that may seem like a silly question, but I believe it's paramount to what we're going to talk about today. What do you expect to happen? You know, if, if most of us, some of us, a few of us were honest, sometimes we pray out of obligation. Well, somebody told me they wanted me to pray for them, so I guess I got to, or I'm a liar, and that's a drag. (laughs) Sometimes we pray out of tradition. We're Christians. That's what we're supposed to do, right? Right? Do we really expect something to happen? (laughs) If our text says to believe and not doubt, what do we really believe, and what is it that we're not doubting? Maybe this will help me explain it. I'd like to tell you, I've had occasion to, to go into um, hospice units where a 95-year-old grandmother was literally breathing her last breath. And a, a grandson would put his arm around me and say, Dwayne, I want you to pray that grandmama gets up out of that bed and walks out of this hospital. You can't say no. Right? And so I'll pray a prayer like this. God, I believe that you're a healer. And I believe that you're able to heal grandmama. But I'm only, can I just be honest with you? In my mind, I'm thinking, that's probably not going to happen. Grandmama's probably going to die, and she's going to go out of here in a hearse. But I need you to understand something. When I pray that prayer, I'm believing, and I'm not doubting. Dwayne, that doesn't make sense. You just said in your mind you're thinking that she's going to die, and you asked for God to heal her. We've conditioned ourselves to focus our expectation in the wrong direction. So I'm going to ask again, 
What are you expecting to happen? If you were praying for that 95-year-old grandmother, before you judge me, would the same thing be in your head? Probably. We've conditioned ourselves to believe that we should expect the outcome of our prayer to be resolved in a way we think is best. We've placed our hope, we've placed our trust in the result of our prayer instead of the God to whom we're praying. In other words, we pray for healing. Our faith is in the outcome, and healing doesn't happen like we think it's supposed to. Then we lose heart, and we say things like, why do we even bother to pray to begin with? Because our faith is not in the God to whom we're praying. Our faith is in the outcome of our prayer. When God doesn't do what we think he needs to do. When God doesn't behave in the way we think he needs to behave. We assume he either doesn't care about what I want or is incapable of providing it. And I need to tell you that neither of those assumptions are true. God is quite able. He breathed this world into existence with his words. And he cares about your needs so much so that there will will be times when instead of giving you what you want, he will give you what is best. Mm. So when you pray, instead of hoping for what you want, expect God's best. In our prayers... Uh, We we did a series last year called Pray First. And one of the the main things we talked about was that powerful prayer is is a result of faith in the God of the outcome. And not just the answer. If I trusted the outcome of my prayer, I'd be in trouble. Because I prayed for some wrong stuff before. Have you? I prayed for God to let me marry Becky Chandler. And I'm glad that he did not, he didn't give me what I thought I wanted. I had to be careful there, didn't I? What I thought I wanted, he gave me what was best. I'm going to need, I'm going to need some help later. How many of you have prayed for something? And then later, we're very thankful that God didn't answer the prayer the way you prayed it. Because, guess what? Some of you have prayed that, you know, for some bad things. Um, I'm so thankful that God's concerned about us enough that he gives us not what we want and what's best. In that Pray First series, we said that when we pray, heaven pays attention. I love this passage. It's Psalms 34. It says, The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. So God just doesn't pay attention to your request. He pays attention to the tiny pieces that you can't see. He pays attention to the plan that he has for your life. 
He pays attention to the future that you, he can see that you cannot. He responds to your request from a perspective that you're not privy to. So all I'm saying this morning is when we pray and God doesn't respond and God doesn't behave the way we think He needs to, instead of assuming He didn't hear us, instead of assuming that He doesn't care, instead of assuming that He doesn't, isn't able, let's expect that God knows what's best for me. And He loves me so terribly so wonderfully, so incredibly that he's not going to let me mess my own life with my silly, selfish prayer. Now think about it. Let's go back to our 95-year-old grandmother laying in the hospital. Now she knows the Lord. She's about to experience life like she's never known it. And because we're selfish, we're going to try to pray her back home. Is that is that right? Is that fair? Because we pray from our want. So let's talk about expectant prayer. First thing, if you're taking notes, write this down. We'll focus. Expectant prayer will focus on God's plan, not my wants. I want to build God's kingdom and not mine. I'm, I'm thankful that God didn't answer every prayer for every job I ever wanted. I'm glad that God didn't open the door for every ministry opportunity that I've ever prayed for because I, he's more concerned with what's best for Dwayne, not just what Dwayne thinks he wants. Let's build God's kingdom and not ours. So let's focus on God's plans, not our wants. So let's make sure that we pray in line with Scripture. Can I be mean for just a minute? I've been nice and quiet so far. Um, if you really want a dynamic, fulfilling, effective prayer life, it must always be married to Scripture. And, and maybe our prayer life isn't... Maybe we're praying for things outside of God's will because we haven't read His Word enough to know, understand what His will might be. Jesus said it this way. We love the last part of the scripture in, in John 15, verse 7. We love the last part where he says, and ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. We love that part. Ask whatever you wish. Listen, if that worked, I would not be driving a focus. Just going to lay that out there. It's comical watching me Big Dwayne, crawl out of that focus. You ever opened a can of sardines and one just got away? That's me getting out of that focus. That's not what the, that, the whole verse. Jesus said, if you remain in me, and look, you've got to read this carefully, and my words remain in you. There's a correlation between the word of God, the words of Christ, and what we ask for. So they're going to be, our prayers are going to be focused on God's plans, not our wants. They're going to be in line with Scripture, and they're going to originate from a pure heart. Man, I, I love, one of my dearest friends wrote a song on Psalm 24, and I, I tried to find it online so I could play it for you this morning. And, and I love this passage. It says, who, you don't have it, so you're looking in your bulletin, but it's not there. 
Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him. Who seek your face, O God of Jacob. Well, Dwayne, we're all in trouble then. Because I... I don't have clean hands and I don't have a pure heart. Sometimes we ask for things that we'd have no business asking for. Sometimes we approach God without a clean hand or a pure heart. Listen, and you've heard me say this enough, but I have to make sure you hear me. Your behavior has nothing to do with the way God views you. The reason God views you as righteous and holy and just is because the blood of Christ has been applied to your life. And when he sees you, he sees the sacrifice of his son. And he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so we could become the righteousness of God. So we, we can climb that hill with clean hands and a pure heart because Christ made them that way. I, I taught the boys. I'm a very simple man. I, I'm just going to be honest with you. Um, I consider myself somewhat intelligent. But at the end of the day, I'm a very simple person. And I like simple processes. And so I started praying a particular way. And I've told you this. This is nothing new. If you've been hanging around here very long, you've heard all this. But I, I, I wanted to remind you. There's a very simple way for you to pray. And I believe it starts. See, we just read Psalm, Psalm 24 that says, Before we approach the hill of God, we need to have clean hands and a pure heart. I believe that repentance should precede petition. That, okay, I got a blank stare. I believe if there's junk in our life that doesn't supposed to be there, before we talk to God about paying our light bill, we ought to take care of whatever junk's in our life. Is that, is that a better way of saying it? So P-R-A-Y. We should always start our prayer with praise. It's amazing how when you begin to pray with praise, God, I, I, I just want to tell you how good you are and how much I thank you that you, your son is sitting at the right hand praying for me now as we speak. I just want to uh, tell you how much I thank you for changing my life and saving. And, and can I tell you, the more you focus on how big God is, the smaller your junk's going to seem. So we start with praise, and then we are. That R stands for repent. And what that means is, God, whatever I've done, it's outside of your purpose and plan for my life. Forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, and I turn away from it. See, we, we, repentance is really a, a very religious-sounding word for being sorry for your sin. Asking Christ for his forgiveness. And, and the beautiful part of that word is the part of it that means turn. I'm... I'm going to ask, I'm going to recognize the sin in my life. I'm going to confess it, ask him to forgive me, and then I'm going to turn away from it. If you'll do that every time you pray, man, can I, there's something beautiful that happens when we start our prayer with praise, then repentance, and then we ask.
And the last part is we yield. In other words, God, whatever you have for my life, I surrender to you. We praise, we repent, we ask, and we yield. And to this day, when I pray on my own, by myself, that's how I pray. I start it with praise. God, thank you for your goodness and your love. God, I know that there's been actions and attitudes in my life that have displeased you, and I don't want to do that. Wash me, and I want to turn from him. I agree with you that they're bad for me. So, an effective prayer focuses on God's plan. It is in line with Scripture. It originates from a pure heart. It's persistent, and it's consistent. Y'all, I'm not being judgmental when I say this, but why do we, do we wait for times of crisis before we talk to God? I'm, I'm going to look around the room real quick and make sure that nobody's here that would judge me for saying what I'm getting. We wait till the proverbial poop hits the fan. <laughs> Right? And then we'll call on God. Man. I, and, and don't get me wrong, man. I, I get it. And those are times when we need to pray. But can I just, if you want to have this kind of expectant prayer life, man, it needs to be consistent. And it needs to be persistent. What? Especially, man, I, and I've told you this story a thousand times, but I'll, there's such a beautiful illustration that we've seen in our own family of Donna's grandmother praying for the salvation of her husband and he gave, gives his heart to the Lord at 94? After 50, how many years of marriage? 70. God. <laughs> Focus on God's plan, not mine. In line with scripture, originates from a pure heart. It's persistent and consistent. And listen, effective prayer is fostered, listen, in community. Jesus designed it this way. I said something last week that I want to, I want to, I want to say again. Because I believe this with all of my heart. Not all, but most genuine spiritual transformation happens under the auspices of the local church. That doesn't mean that great things didn't happen spiritually outside this building. That's not what I'm trying to say. But what I am trying to say is that for the most, because this is how God designed it, we are the body of Christ. And so prayer, not that solitary prayer isn't beautiful, and it is, But Jesus said these words, that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it'll be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. There's something beautiful about you being connected with the body of Christ, even if it's one other person to take your petitions to God with in agreement. So I'll ask you this. Who do you have in your life that you could say, will you pray with me about something? And they will. Who do you have in your life? Do you have somebody in your world that if you say, hey, will you pray with me about something? Now you can get on Facebook and you can say, hey, pray about it. Everybody will like it. Some people will love it. You'll get the thumbs up and you get the little prayer emoji hands, right? 
And that's all fine and good. But I want you to have somebody in your life that if they see that on your social media, your phone is ringing. What's going on, baby? Let's pray now. You got somebody like that in your life? You got somebody like that that you, can, that you know that, that prayer is not just an emoji? Not just a thumbs up? Not just a like? But it's the way they live their life? You have somebody in that, like that in your life that if you say, Hey, my family's going to hell in a handbasket. Will you pray for me? They'll stop what they're doing and call on God. Do you have somebody like that? That happens when, you, when you're connected to a community. Yes. And you need that. I'm not telling you that God doesn't hear a solitary prayer. He does. But can I tell you there's something that happens in the faith part of our soul when we hold hands with somebody who believes like you believe and is praying. You know what an intercessor is? An intercessor is somebody that will pray for your need just like it was their own. Do you have somebody like that in your life? That happens as a result of community. And oh, by the way, somebody may ask you to pray about something, or you may ask someone to pray about something for you, and and because you're not seeing with a clear eye, they may say, no, I'm going to pray for you, but before you take this leap that you think about taking, let me give you some godly, wise counsel. You have somebody like that in your life? That happens in community. That's why Jesus said, there needs to be two of you together. Agreeing. Something powerful happens then. So before we go today, I want to talk to you about what happens when the unexpected happens. In other words, you pray for healing and healing doesn't come. Do we, do we doubt and not believe in that moment? How do we respond when we pray for provision and provision doesn't come like you, you think it needs to? Let me ask you a question. How many of you ever had a financial need and God met it miraculously? Raise your hand. How many of you ever had a financial need and God didn't meet it miraculously? Was he more God then or where was he more God? When he, when he did what you wanted him to? So what do we do when God doesn't behave like we think he's supposed to? What do we do when things don't work out like we want them to? And I'm going to give you three very quick things that I, I, I think will help you. First of all, trust his plan. Yes. I, I have this thing that I say. And I, I think sometimes it sounds so repetitive. But oftentimes people will say, Dwayne, when you pray this week, will you pray for, I have this going on, I have that going on. And somewhere I will, I will say these four words, God has a plan. Yes. And can I tell you why I say those four words? Because I genuinely believe at the core of my soul that whatever you're walking through, God has a plan. And I trust him. Trust his plan. Number two, believe his word. 
Again, I'm not trying to be mean, but you can't believe something that you're not familiar with. Prayer and God's Word. You with me? And here's this last one. This is where we trip. I wonder if you, like I, have ever had this internal, because we're not going to say these words out loud. Have ever prayed a prayer, and it didn't go like you think, and then all of a sudden, you're mad at God. And you'd say, well, if that's the way it's going to be, I quit. I'll just walk away. First of all, if you've ever done that, I wonder how that worked out for you. It didn't, did it? When it doesn't work out the way you think it needs to work out, I'm going to tell you to trust, believe, and walk in obedience. You chase Jesus just as hard when he doesn't pay the bill as you do when he does. And let me tell you what will happen. You'll begin to see. See, things are always clearer in our rearview mirror, aren't they? I've had God do some things that I didn't understand. There were some people that died that I don't understand why they died. There were some doors that got shut that I don't understand why they got shut. But there's never been a time when all that stuff wound up in the rearview mirror that I went, well, big guy, you missed it this time. He's always, always, always right. So, here we go. There's these three words that we've talked about for now three weeks. We've talked about serving God with excellence, right? We talked about a new priority with evangelism. And evangelism is just a real fancy word for you and I sharing with people who are disconnected from the body of Christ what God's done in our own life. Uh, My favorite definition, I told you last week, for evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where he found the bread. That's good, right? I wish I would have written that because that's good. One beggar telling another beggar where he found the bread. Oh, but guess what? Let me just, here's a little add-on to that cool little phrase. Aren't you thankful he didn't leave you a beggar? All right, there we go. So serving God with excellence and and a higher priority on evangelism, a renewed priority on evangelism. You know, when we were a brand new church, we didn't have any choice but to be evangelistic because there was four of us and we all had the same last name. Right? So a commitment to excellence and a renewed priority on, on evangelism and learning to pray with expectation according to God's plan. And I'm like, what is that? I'm like, God, what is, where's the connection? And it's clear. God doesn't speak to me audibly. I'd pass out. But as clear as he's ever spoken into my heart, I'm like, okay, what's the product? If, all right, let's get mathematical. What's the, what's the product of the equation? And here's what he told me. Revival. And I said, God, that's, that's what we've been praying for. And he said, now I'm going to tell you where your part is. 
You're going to serve God. Because he, it, was a, it was in first person. So he said, you're going to serve me with excellence. Corporately and individually. You're going to be about the business of letting the world know where the bread is. And you're going to pray an expectation, pray an expectant prayer. Listen, I'm praying that God sends revival. Yes. And I expect Him to. Yes. Do you know why? Because that's about building His kingdom and not mine. Yes. It's in line with Scripture. We're coming before Him with a clean hand and a pure heart because we've been washed in His blood. And I believe we have every right to expect God to answer that prayer. Why would He not? So you're going to hear that word a lot. In fact, I've given you away. Uh, in fact, we're, we're going to, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. We're going to participate in the Lord's Supper today. And every first Sunday for the rest of this year, we're going to participate in communion. Because I told you that um, what, what is central to our church always has been, but we're going to place a greater emphasis that, that the hub of the wheel is the gospel. What better way is there to keep the gospel in front of us yes. than celebrating the Lord's Supper? So Don's going to come and she's going to play. Our ushers are preparing to serve you. And then we'll, uh, we'll do that as they're playing.
declared I am the bread of life whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty what we do this morning has one purpose it causes us to remember the broken body and the shed blood of Christ there's nothing miraculous in the cracker nothing miraculous in the juice it's a way that you and I can remember because Jesus told us to, by the way. That He came to this earth born of a virgin. He lived for 33 years. He taught and He served and He loved and He helped and He healed. And then at the age of 33, he gave his life. His body was broken. That's what this bread represents. His body was broken for your healing. And he shed his blood for your forgiveness and for mine. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So Christ was the ultimate perfect sacrifice that would wash away the sin of the world. So when we take the bread, we remember His broken body. When we drink of the cup, we remember His shed blood. When we do this, I talked about repentance just a minute ago. This is a perfect time for you to search your heart. God, if there's anything in me that displeases you, forgive me, wash me. I turn from my sin. What a beautiful time. So what we're going to do before we take the bread and of the cup we're just going to take a moment we're going to pray together and this will be a great time for you to just again search your heart Lord I love you I thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus without that great sacrifice we would all be forever and hopelessly lost so God if there's things in my life that displease you there's attitudes and actions that I've displayed God I want you to wash them from me I want to climb this hill today with a clean hand pure heart we love you 
The Bible says he took the bread and after he had broken it, he blessed it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. Take another bread. And after that, the Bible says that he took the cup and said, this cup represents my blood, which I'm shedding for you for the forgiveness of your sins. So take and drink. Take a moment and just in your own way, give thanks to the Lord. Speak a word of worship for his broken body and his shed blood. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. At the cross, yes, God. I just want to share with you um, I, I'm really funny I don't like for us to do things on Sunday morning that we can do the week prior to but this morning I just felt God laced this on my heart as you leave today there's going to be an usher that will stand at that door they don't know this yet <laughs> with these cards and I, I you can do with this card, you can put it on, on your refrigerator, you can put it on your mirror, you can put it in your, in your car, just some place that you'll see it. And what I believe this is, it's a recipe for revival for our church this year. Mm. And we're using those three letters, those three words that begin with E. We said excellence, and if, on, on this card, and you don't have it, but I'll just read it to you real quickly. Um, excellence, one of the things that you can do is show up every once in a while, right? <laughs> So I said that you, what you can do to try to live a life of excellence is to attend church services or groups at least four times a month. You've got four, sixteen. You got twelve on a given Sunday. You got or on a given month. You got twelve to sixteen opportunities between all the groups and stuff that we do. I'm asking you to commit to at least four of those. That you spend at least thirty minutes with God three days a week. And listen, if you're not doing that, if you'll do that and nothing else, everything else will fall into place. And then under excellence, you volunteer at LifePoint one time a month, somewhere. And then there's the evangelism. And my challenge for you is to list five people you know who are disconnected from God, disconnected from the church 
disconnected from the body of Christ. You're going to make a list of five people. Here's what you're going to do. Something radical. You're going to pray for them every day. And you're going to invite someone to come with you to LifePoint every week. What if they say no? Okay. You invite someone. And then, under expectation, you're going to pray for your church often, believing for God's best. Man, if, you're, if you love LifePoint, LifePoint's your church, I want you to take this. If, even, okay, if you just like LifePoint, I want you to do this. If you just think LifePoint's okay, do this. The more you do this, the more you're going to see that you're involved in a church that's kind of a big deal. So I'm going to challenge you to do this. They'll give you that as you leave. Sean's going to come and uh, receive our monetizing offerings.